0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week I'll review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication. I still got it! Hey, welcome back everybody, welcome back! That's what I should have said, I should have said welcome back to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King um it's been a while it's been a while guys i'm recording this it is uh june 25th right now it's almost july and my last recording was in april so um so I mean I, I said that I, I would be back for the end of watch review and, and here we are. So in this episode I'll be reviewing Stephen King's latest publication, the, uh, the the final piece of the Mr. Mercedes trilogy, End of Watch. And before I begin, there there's just some things that I, I kind of want to get out of the way. The the first of which I just want to say thank you. Guys, just thank you. Thank I that's just thanks. Um, after my, my last episode uh, entitled Announcement um, and you know, in that episode, I, I discussed, you know, kind of taking a hiatus and, and cutting back on the podcast a little bit. Um, just the just the response that I got from everyone through uh, through email and iTunes reviews and, and and Facebook messages it was just there was a lot of kind words um, kind words about the podcast but the ones that that mattered the most to me were, were just the kind words from person to person uh, in, in just in regards to the well wishes regarding my my um, newfound fatherhood so just guys everyone that that just wished me well on on this journey thank you it it just it really meant a lot and it just kind of reinforced why why i do the stephen king cast and and why we're stephen king fans i mean this is this is this is it right i mean stephen king writes about characters and and humanity and in this moment you know i made an announcement i said guys i'm i'm a father now and everyone just so congratulations, and I feel like a lot of you meant it. I mean, it, it was just awesome. So so thank you, everyone. Um, an update. She's great. Um, I, I, my wife and I were just very lucky. She's just an awesome kid. Uh, really great temperament. Uh, right now, she's just smiling and, and laughing a lot. Uh, I mean, she sleeps really well. She never really cries, So, and she's healthy. So, I mean, we we are very, very fortunate. Very, very lucky. She's... She's a good kid. Um, so thank you, everyone. Um, now, before I get any further, uh, there, there's just a couple things that I, I would like to address. I'd like to, to shamelessly plug some short stories that I myself have written. So uh, a lot of this is, is kind of some old stuff for those of you who have been listening for a while. Um but it's for those of you who are tuning in for the first time not only do i uh you know review stephen king works uh this past year i've also uh, been fortunate enough to to have some of my own stuff published um and these publications include the short story room 207 which can be found in the uh, issue Dark Moon Digest number 22. You can download it on your Kindle right now, um, or you can send away for a copy. Uh, I have one on my desk. It's great. Um, pretty proud of that st- short story. I think that fans of Stephen King will, will really get a kick out of that. Fans of Stephen King, you're all fans of Stephen King's while you're here. Uh, but I think that you'll get a kick out of it. You can also, uh, with a click of a button, download This World Will Eat You All the Way Up from Nine Tales Told in the Dark, Issue 9. That is an uh, online electronic publication. You can get that there, available through Amazon. If you're in the mood for some stories about witches, you can go out and and buy the Wax and Wayne, A Gathering of Witch Tales Anthology. My short story is included there. It's called Hopscotch, Um, and that was a fun one. I think that you guys will get a kick out of that as well. Coming later this year uh, in August, uh, the short story Forget Me Not will be published in the Trists of Fate magazine, Uh, and just a few weeks ago my short story The Portrait will be published um in the in the magazine skeptics must die from disquieted dreams press so keep your eyes open for that one so there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff in those in those short stories guys so feel free to head on over to to amazon and, and pick up any of those publications to just help help support uh you know small time uh publishers uh, i know that they would appreciate it and i know that i would appreciate it um i got a couple um Couple of reviews on on the short stories. Uh, a lot of a lot of good feedback from from some people. So I, I just really appreciate it. You know. So I mean, I I really would appreciate it if you just read the stories and let me know one way or another if they worked for you and and if so, you know why. And if not, you know that's kind of more important. You know, why did they not work? That will only help me grow. Um, as a writer. So now, what's up next? Uh, I am going to just read some of the uh, iTunes reviews that have popped up. As I've said before in the past, one of the reasons why the Stephen King cast is as... Um, popular as it is, is because of the the iTunes reviews, and the more iTunes reviews a podcast gets, uh, the the easier it is to search and the higher up on the iTunes library it it gets, so I just appreciate all the the kind words from from everyone who's left a review on iTunes. So up first we have Phenomenal Podcast from ObsessiveViewer.com. I think Stephen King cast should be required listening for any fan of King's work. I absolutely love Constant Reader's approach to deconstructing the work of Stephen King. I'm now using the podcast as a roadmap for me to read all of King's work. Every review is filled with honest and thoughtful criticism and analysis and insight into each work's place in King's career as a whole. One-of-a-kind, brilliant podcast. So thank you, Obsessive Viewer. I just, I I really appreciate that. Uh, Up next, we have, I could give this five stars because from uh, lara mctire so i could give this five stars because because it's well made the host is great and sounds awesome it's engaging and has the perfect amount of energy the host has fun the dogs and all of those are true but it's not why i give it five stars i give it five stars because it was part of the last push i needed to start the dark tower and for that i will be a eternal gratitude for, to this podcast and its host thanks thank you so much uh, up next, we have Love This Podcast from the boy from Marcella. This is my go to podcast for when I finish a King novel. His thorough review and analysis of each story is almost as fun as the stories themselves. If you are a fan of King's novels or movies, give Stephen Kingcast a listen. You will not be let down. Uh, Salem Solly, MP3, writes great, thorough, and great way to revisit novels. Um, KES. 2192 writes, Perfection. I love this podcast. He has such great analysis of Stephen King's works. I could listen to him talk about anything, really, because he's so emotional and thought-provoking. However, it does help that I'm a huge Stephen King fan. <laughs> it's certainly true. Uh, then we have uh, Richard Tozier, who writes, Where are you? We miss you. An absolute must for the King constant reader. Found this six months ago and went through every book or movie review in order. It brought back so many fond memories and presented so many new unthought of insights except for the dairy queen lol you will truly look forward to every next episode it really brings back the old quartet back together again you will love it beep beep uh so richard tozier references um probably my biggest mistake that i've made in in the stephen king cast history during my review of the stand i just kind of i i made a joke that uh people took seriously and i don't blame anyone else because if you have to explain a joke the joke isn't funny uh and he's referring to the dairy queen so just again and i think that i have brought this up maybe five times on the podcast but i um in that episode i make a long story short franny goes to eat at the dairy queen at this point she's pregnant she's there with her, her boyfriend jess and um i just kind of went on i i i just went on a like an english majors rant you know what i mean like i just kind of made connections where there weren't connections and i analyzed stuff that didn't need to be analyzed and i just i was just screwing around it's not meant to be serious guys i'm not saying that fran's baby is the crimson king is there's no connection to it i was just having a fun time that's all um and lastly we have tommy2222 love this podcast wonderful listening to the dark tower episodes so guys, again, thank you for all of the kind words. Thank you for just um, taking the time to to just write uh, uh, those kind words on on iTunes. Um, and uh, if you have a few minutes uh, to spare, head on over to iTunes. I currently have I just hit eighty. There's eighty reviews. That's fantastic. I want to see if I can get to a hundred. So if you haven't done so, head on over to iTunes and and let's see what we can get. I would I would love. Um, i would love more reviews that would be fantastic and uh it's i just think it's a great way to just kind of share our our thoughts and experiences also if you have a couple minutes feel free to to write in at stephenkingcast at yahoo.com um i i don't have any uh emails ready to to read for this episode but the next time i sit down to record i'll definitely i'll definitely uh fire off a few of those so thanks everyone um before i get into my review of end of watch there is some stuff out there in the world of stephen king that i i, I really want to talk about to the point where when it, they first happened i almost dropped everything and recorded an episode but you know life being what it was I, I really didn't have the time and i'm glad that it worked out but um the first of which let's talk about the dark tower A little bit i did not get a chance i I tweeted this out and i i I talked about it on on facebook a little bit but it's just good to actually you know put it out there in a podcast but there had been there were there were photos that were snapped on set you know unofficial photos they, they weren't released by the studio just they were released onto the the internet um you know someone had just someone on set saw saw idris elba as as roland and they they, they, they they sent it out uh, online and it kind of made the rounds. And guys, listen, I, I know that for whatever reason, I really don't get it. I honestly don't get it. But the, his casting is controversial. Um, I think that you know that I'm on record thinking that the casting is awesome. You know, I mean, this this last go around on when I was reading The the, the Dark Tower, in my head I was picturing Mads Mikkelsen. And I still think he would be great, but I'm not getting Mads Mikkelsen. I'm getting Idris Elba, and that's awesome. It's a good problem to have. Um, but yeah, he there he is in costume, like, it's crazy. You know, I looked at that, and I, I just, I didn't really know how to react, and my body just kind of, like, stopped functioning for a second, because I was I was looking at the Gunslinger. It was really happening. It's happening, guys. This movie is finally happening. And I can't imagine what it must feel like for Stephen King to look at that and be like, I started writing this when I was 19 years old, and, and now it, the, the movie is finally coming out. But anyway, uh... to me he looks like roland i mean there's there's a shot of him in in a long you know like trench coat kind of duster and it just i mean it's roland there's another picture i think that he has like a, a red scarf it's just he looks like roland to me and i can't wait i cannot wait for the first teaser trailer to hit or the first um the first official um stills uh from the production i I just it's an exciting time you know whether it's good whether it's bad i don't know but for like right now it's just an exciting time so what really got me what really like really jazzed me up uh was something that stephen king uh i don't know if he tweeted it out i don't know if he put it on his facebook page but stephen king put it out and this one really kind of sent shockwaves uh through the the stephen king world um through all of the realities out there in the multiverse, uh, for anyone that you know knows the works of the Dark Tower, spoiler alert! Hey guys, I got a spoiler alert in there, I'm, so I, I'm sorry uh, for anyone that has ever listened to the Stephen King cast, and I've just destroyed um, spoilers without throwing out spoilers. So spoiler alert for the ending of the Dark Tower, as we all know in. In the Dark Tower, it winds up concluding with Roland uh, achieving his quest and stepping to the top of the tower, opening one final door only to realize that this door takes him back to the beginning of the Gunsinger, and this is a journey that he has undertaken countless times before and that his life is just ka itself going over and over and over again because as we know um ka is a circle and so is roland's existence just doomed to go over and over and over again until he finally gets things right and it's it's implied that every on every revolution of his his destined quest he does things a little bit better a little bit better a little you know um you know he corrects his mistakes each time so um, there was a uh, image that was tweeted out from uh, Stephen King. Let's just say tweet. I don't know where it went, um, but he let's just say it was tweeted out, and it was a picture of a horn lying in the dirt, with and so basically it was a meme with the words um, "the last time around." Or the final time around i think it was the final time around um actually hold on one second let me verify this yeah it says the last time around um and that just think about that gave me goosebumps so for anyone that 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 knows you know why that's important so this basically this this one image is stephen king's way of saying that this movie matters in a way that maybe it hadn't mattered before because this image basically all but states that it is a direct sequel to the books themselves because the the novel concludes with roland having picked up the horn of eld and by doing so, he's it's a, the, the symbol of, of him writing the mistakes that he had made in the previous incarnation of his life. And for King to tweet out this this image of the horn lying in the dirt the last time around, um, this is basically saying that Idris Elba's journey is the final phase of Roland's existence. And basically that that allows for all of the changes to be made. Um, that, that are being made in this movie. Because as you know, it's going to take place in media res. It's not going to begin the way that it, 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 it always began. It's, it's going to tell a different version of the story. I'm fine with it as long as it's good. Um, so that, that got me excited. That, that, that's just basically... It's such a great way to, uh, to pay tribute to all of the fans and at the same time legitimize both the books and the movie uh so let's see let's see what happens um also uh in in um dark tower news over father's day um idris elba tweeted out uh uh an image that says remember the face of your father and uh he he gave a tweet um you know, basically taught. You know, he said something along the lines of like, I, I have not forgotten Stephen's face, Stephen the fa- the 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 son of Henry, I believe, um, and and even mentioned you know Arthur. Uh, so I mean, it was just another way of just showing that. Listen, guys, I uh, they care about the fandom and they they care about the the legacy of this story. So they're treating it pretty faithfully, even if the story itself is going to look different. So. I'm very excited about all of this. Uh, let's see. Some other news. Um, uh, the, a, a picture was just released of the Losers Club in the new It adaptation. And gotta say, I mean, I, I like the look of the kids. Uh, I, I tried kind of matching up who I think the, the kids are. But it... I mean, already I like those kids better than the kids from the the, the TV miniseries. So... I. Um, uh, so check that out, and you know I'm, I, you know I. It's left a bad taste in my mouth since the original director left, and um, I, I don't have a lot of faith in it. But I'll, I'll definitely check it out, and I'll share my thoughts when it when it comes out. And that's all that I can think of in terms of what's been going on in the world of Stephen King. So, with all of that said, guys, it's time for me to review end of watch so it's still early in um its lifespan it was just uh, published in in early june we're at the end of june and, and there isn't uh, a detailed wikipedia entry so at this point i would usually read a wikipedia summary i don't have that so instead i'm going to read uh, what's available on wikipedia which is the the synopsis and wikipedia says retired detective bill hodges who now, with his sidekick, Holly, runs the unauthorized investigative agency Finders Keepers, is diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Given only months to live, he finds himself drawn into a recent spree of suicides. All of the dead are connected by a common thread, each of them have had in the past been in contact with Brady Hartsfield, the notorious Mr. Mercedes, who six years ago plotted to blow up a rock concert venue packed with teenagers. Holly and Hodges thwarted Brady's plans and left the killer in a persistent vegetative state from which he never recovered. However, many of the staff of the hospital where Brady now resides believe that Brady is recovering at an impossible rate and that he may be faking his injuries to avoid trial, except that everyone who gets too close to proving this suspicion seems to disappear. After his head injury, Brady found himself gaining new abilities, including the power to move small objects with his mind and the ability to enter the bodies of certain people susceptible to his mental domination. Using these tools, Brady has been crafting a plan to finish his murderous work by creating a hypnotic video game app that heightens the user's susceptibility. Once the users are in Brady's control, he will use the app to dominate their minds and persuade them to commit suicide. The targets are the very teenagers who escaped death when Brady's plan to destroy the concert venue failed. Brady's ultimate goal, however, is to lure Hodges into the game and exact revenge against the detective. Brady uses the bodies of both a corrupt neurosurgeon and a hospital librarian as both puppets and red herrings to do his dirty work and misdirect the police while he makes his final move to destroy Hodges, all the while unaware that Hodges is already racing the clock, racing against the clock to his own death. So, all right, um, as you might remember, um, I did not like Mr. Mercedes. I didn't like it the first time around and I was actually interested on on how it would go with the reread but even in the reread I just I did not like Mr. Mercedes. I um found Brady very derivative as a villain. I thought that that Bill Hodges didn't make for a, a very interesting or capable protagonist um i didn't like the humor that was that was in it um i thought that some of the the plot uh contrivances were just that um it just it didn't it didn't feel like one of king's best by any means so i wasn't really looking forward to to reading its sequel finders keepers but then i found that finders keepers actually was uh a lot better than mr mercedes but um it the only reason why I really liked Finders Keepers as much as I did was because large swaths of the book did not include the characters from Mr. Mercedes. Um, I'll get into this a little bit, but I feel as though if they, if King had just taken out the, the whole connection to Finders Keepers and just had it be its own crime story, it would be a phenomenal book. Um, but he didn't. He wound up roping it into the world of Mr. Mercedes by... Um, by including bill hodges and, and holly and uh, jerome and his little sister barbara and it it concluded with uh bill visiting brady in the hospital with the releva- revelation that that brady had um had gained superpowers uh the ability to to affect people's minds and um with some telekinetic ability there. So, even though I had not liked Mr. Mercedes and liked Finder's Keepers because it didn't really have the characters from Mr. Mercedes, I was looking forward to End of Watch because it looked like we were going to get a pretty big showdown uh, between Bill and a super-powered Brady. The like, you know, and, and this is a complete detour from how the original book. Had started. So I was very, very interested in uh, End of Watch, and now that I have just finished End of Watch about two hours ago, um, I have to say that it, it fizzled uh, by the end. And w- when I read the final page, I was glad to be done with it. Um, you know, I, I'll get at this in a little bit. I admire Stephen King for, you know, wanting to write you know these three books and and try something a little bit different um i'm glad that he did that um and i hope that you know his next venture is is just better realized than than these three books were so um so getting into the 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 nitty-gritty of end of watch um let's talk about the beginning so the 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 previous two installments of the the books that led up to this mr mercedes and finders keepers both started out strong um i have a preference for finders keepers um but the opening of mr mercedes is still nothing to scoff at Uh, like he did in its sequel king returns us to the events of the first novel this time through the perspective of two ambulance drivers who are dispatched to assist in brady's kill ride in the mercedes in the opening pages of mr mercedes so as openings go it's good Uh, the problem is that has to compare to uh two ridiculously strong openings um i mean this does dovetail back to the the opening sequence from the first book but it it does lack the uh the, the shock of the first book and and just the 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 tension of the the opening to finders keepers so, with the cold open out of the way, King can dive in, and he does so by reintroducing us to Bill Hodges. Now, Bill didn't show up in Finder's Keepers until about halfway through, and you know I think that the book like I said was strong enough to exist without him and I think that it was better uh, without him in it but here we, we dive right back into the life of Kermit and it makes sense I mean this is supposed to be the, the final showdown between him and Brady so um, unlike Finder's keepers there isn't a case that he has to get necessarily in, in, involved with we, we just have to be involved with Bill so yes it makes sense to just uh, jump back in with Bill so the past slams into the present as Bill Bill learns that the primary victim um, of the, the, the opening of this book has been involved in a murder-suicide, uh, the catalyst for the, the final chapter in this series. And more importantly for our character, King teases ill health for Bill as he receives the call while he's at the doctor's and leaves before getting the results. So that's, myst- so that's mystery one. Mystery 2 is the little electronic device that Holly finds at the crime scene and what its role is in the murder-suicide. We get a time frame here, with it being longer than eight months since he last visited Brady, which is how we ended Finder's Keepers. Bill and Holly begin their investigation. We learn that uh, Mrs. Stover had been the owner of the Zappit device and that an elderly man had been spotted around the house. And then, uh, at just under sixty pages, we are reintroduced to Brady Hartsfield. Um, This time, it's through the eyes of um, King's Ode to One Flew Over the Cuckoo Nest's Nurse Ratchet. So, um, on page fifty-nine, I'm going to read fifty-nine to sixty-three because it's just it's a good uh, character beat uh, of of this particular um, small character, uh, Nurse Chappelle and her perspective of of Brady. So, there is, however, one long-term patient in the bucket whom she hates. That patient is Brady Hartsfield. It isn't because she had a friend or relative who was hurt or killed at city center. It's because she thinks he's shamming avoiding the punishment he so richly deserves. Mostly, she stays away and lets other staff members deal with him, because just seeing him often infuses her with a day-long rage that the system should so easily be gamed by this vile creature. She stays away for another reason, too. She doesn't entirely trust herself when she's in this room. On two occasions, she has done something. The kind of thing that were it discovered might result in her being the one fired. But on this early January afternoon, just as Hodges and Holly are finishing their lunch, she is drawn down to room 217 as if by an invisible cable. Only this morning she was forced to go in there because Dr. Babineau insists she accompany him on rounds, and Brady is his star patient. He marvels at how far Brady has come. "'He should never have emerged from his coma at all,' Babineau told her shortly after she came on staff in the bucket. "'He's a cold fish, but when he speaks of Brady, he becomes almost jolly. "'And look at him now! He's able to walk short distances. With help, I grant you, he can feed himself, "'and he can respond either verbally or with signs to simple questions. "'He's also prone to poking himself in the eye with his fork,' Ruth Schapelli could have added, but doesn't. "'And his verbal responses all sound like wah-wah and gub-gub to her. "'Then there's the matter of waste.' put it depends on him and he holds it take it off and he urinates in his bed regular as clockwork defecates in it if he can it's as if he knows she believes he does know something else he knows of this there can be no doubt is that Chapelli doesn't like him this very morning after this the exam was finished and dr babinao was washing his hands in the 10 suite bathroom brady raised his head to look at her and lifted one hand to his chest he curled it into a loose trembling fist from his middle finger, slowly extended. At first, Sapelli could barely comprehend what she was seeing, Brady Hartsfield giving her the finger. Then, as she heard the water go off in the bathroom, two buttons popped from the front of her uniform, exposing the center of her sturdy Playtex 18-hour comfort strap bra. She doesn't believe the rumors she's heard about this waste of humanity, refuses to believe them, but then he smiled at her, grinned at her. Now she walks down to room 217 while soothing music wafts from the speaker's overhead. She's wearing her spare uniform, the pink one she keeps in her locker and doesn't like much. She looks both ways to make sure no one is paying any attention to her, pretends to study Brady's chart just in case there's a set of prying eyes she's missed and slipped inside. Brady sits in his chair by the window where he always sits. He's dressed in one of his four plaid shirts and a pair of jeans. His hair has been combed and his cheeks are baby smooth a button on his breast pocket proclaims i was shaved by nurse barbara he's living like donald trump ruth scapelli thinks he killed eight people and wounded god knows how many more he tried to kill thousands of teenage girls at a rock and roll concert and here he sits with his meals brought to him by his own personal staff his clothes laundered his face shaved he gets a massage three times a week he visits the spa four times a week and spends time in the hot tub living like donald trump huh more like dessert chieftain in one of those oil-rich Mid-East countries. And if she told Babinaw that he gave her the finger? "'Oh, no,' he'd say. "'Oh, no, nurse Scapelli. What you saw was nothing but an involuntarily... was an involuntary muscle twitch. He's still incapable of the thought processes that would lead to such a gesture. Even if that were not the case, why would he make such a gesture to you?' "'Because you don't like me,' she says, bending forward with her hands on her pink-skirted knees. "'Do you, Mr. Hartsfield?' And that makes this even because I don't like you. He doesn't look at her or give any sign that he's heard her. He only looks out the window at the parking garage across the way. But he does hear her. She's sure he does. And his failure to acknowledge her in any way infuriates her more. When she talks, people are supposed to listen. Am I to believe you popped the buttons on my uniform this morning by some kind of mind control? Nothing. I know better. I've been meaning to replace that one. The bodice was a bit too tight. You might fool some of the more credulous staff members, but you don't fool me, Mr. Hartsfield. All you could do is sit there and make a mess in your bed every time you get the chance. Nothing. She glances around at the door to make sure it's shut and removes her left hand from her knee and reaches out with it. All those people you hurt, some of them still suffering does that make you happy it does doesn't it how would you like how would shall we find out she first touches the soft ridge of nipple beneath his shirt then grasps it between her thumb and index finger her nails are short but she digs in with what she has she twists first one way then the other that's pain mr hartsfield do you like it his face remains as bland as ever which makes her angrier still she bends closer until their noses are almost touching. Her face more like a fist than ever. Her blue eyes bulge behind her glasses. There are tiny spit buds at the corner of her lips. I should do this to your testicles, she whispers. Perhaps I will. Yes, she just might. It's not as if he can tell Babineau, after all. He has four dozen words at most, and few people can understand what he does manage to say. I want more corn comes out, A want mo ko, which sounds like fake Indian talk in an old western movie. The only thing he says that's perfectly clear is, I want my mother, and on several occasions, Scapelli has taken great pleasure to re-informing him that his mother is dead. She twists his nipple back and forth, clockwise and counterclockwise, pinching as hard as she can. And her hands are nurse's hands, which means they are strong. You think Dr. Doctor Babinow is your pet? We've got that backwards. You're his pet. His pet guinea pig. He thinks I don't know about the experimental drugs he's been giving you, but I do. Vitamins, he says. Vitamins, my fanny. I know everything that goes on around here. He thinks he's going to bring you all the way back, but that will never happen. You're too far gone. And what if it did? You'd stand trial and go to jail for the rest of your life, and they don't have hot tubs in Waynesville State Prison. She's pinching his nipples so hard the tendons on her wrists stand out, and still he shows no sign that he feels anything, just looks out at the parking garage, his face a-blank. If she keeps on, one of the nurses is apt to see bruising, swelling, and will go on his chart. She lets go and steps back, breathing hard, and the Venetian blind at the top of his window gives an abrupt bone-like rattle. The sound makes her jump and look around. When she turns back to him, Hartsfield is no longer looking at the parking garage. He's looking at her. His eyes are clear and aware. Scapelli feels a bright spark of fear and takes a step back. I could report Babineau, she says, but doctors have a way of wiggling out of things, especially when it's their word against the nurses, even the head nurses. And why would I? Let him experiment on you all he wants. Even Waynesville is too good for you, Mr. Hartsfield. Maybe he'll give you something that will kill you that's what you deserve a food trolley rumbles by in the corridor someone is getting a late lunch Ruth Scapelli jerks like a woman awakening from a dream and backs towards the door looking from Hartsfield to the now silent venetian blind and then back to Hartsfield again I'll leave you to your thoughts but I want to tell you one more thing before I go if you ever show me your middle finger again it will be your testicles Brady's hand rises from his lap to his chest. It trembles, but that's a motor control issue. Thanks to ten sessions a week downstairs in physical therapy, he's gotten at least some muscle tone back. Scapelli stares, unbelieving, as the middle finger rises and tilts towards her. With it comes that obscene grin. You're a freak, she says in a low voice. An aberration. But she doesn't approach him again. She's suddenly or rationally afraid of what might happen if she did. Meanwhile, uh, Bill continues to work the case as his health rapidly deteriorates. He's trying to determine the point of the Zappit device and how it relates to the murder-suicide. And he's asking himself these questions. King begins to show us. Brady's doctor arrives at Nurse Scapelli's home, and it's clear that something is wrong. This continues once we realize that he has information that nobody was around to see. And then, once things are just tense enough, the Mercedes trilogy goes for the supernatural, or rather, the sci-fi, as Brady appears via astral projection into her house. We've seen the results of Brady-assisted suicides, and now we see it in action. King knows how to make the scene pop, with the projected image of Brady shimmering with fish swimming in his eyes. It's a wonderful touch that reinforces the dreamy mesmerism that's taking hold of nurse Scapelli. While this occurs, Bill gets a message from his Under Debbie's Blue Umbrella account last seen in Mr. Mercedes and suggested that Dr. Babineau is a puppet of Brady, warning or taunting Bill that he isn't done with him yet. But it might not matter if Brady is done with Bill or not because Brady makes it to the doctor, sorry, because Bill makes it to the doctor and discovers the truth about his failing health. It's cancer and it's bad. Now, in both Mr. Mercedes and Finder's Keepers, I have not enjoyed spending time with Bill. I have felt that King finds him more endearing than he actually is, and that's just my opinion. Others might disagree. But either way, the scene lands, and it does so because King is able to paint a picture of what it must be like to receive this news, and does so in a way that shows us why we should like Bill. I have had issues with the character before, but it's hard to argue his likability here. So on page 96, he writes, "Um, I want you to see a gastroenterologist immediately. I'm talking today. The best one in this part of the country is Henry Yip at Kiner. He'll refer you to a good oncologist. I'm thinking that that guy will want to start you on chemo and radiation. These can be difficult for the patient, debilitating, but are far less arduous than even five years ago. Stop, Hodges says. The urge to laugh has thankfully passed. Stamos stops, looking at him in a brilliant shaft of January sun. Hodges thinks, barring a miracle, this is the last January I'm ever going to see. Wow. What are the chances? Don't sugarcoat it. There's something hanging fire in my life right now. It might be something big, so I need to know. Stamos sighs. Very slim, I'm afraid. Pancreatic cancer is just so goddamn stealthy. How long? With treatment? Possibly a year? Even Two? And a remission is not entirely out of the question. I need time to think about this, Hodges says. I've heard that many times after I've had the unpleasant task of giving this kind of diagnosis, and I always tell my patients what I'm going to tell you, Bill. If you were standing on top of a burning building and a helicopter appeared and dropped a rope ladder, would you say you needed to think about it before climbing up? Hodges mulls that over, and the urge to laugh returns. He's able to restrain it, but not smile. But not a smile. It's broad and charming. I might, he says if the helicopter in question had only two gallons of gas left in the tank. The section concludes with a wonderful character study of Ruth Scapelli's daughter, who receives an uncharacteristic email from her mother that suggests suicide, and the cops dispatched to the scene confirm it. Between Bill's prognosis and the death of the nurse, King concludes his chapter on a pretty heavy note. The next section is entitled Brady. King foregoes the element of mystery and dives right into the goods. He doubles back and gives us Brady's account following the Civic Center attack, how he was bashed into a coma, and how he began to pull himself out of it, along with a newfound ability of not just telekinesis, but also the ability to psychically enter others. King details the specifics and the difficulties of doing this, and he lays the seeds for the importance of the Zappit devices. The next section is entitled Blackish. Holly and Bill discuss the possibility that Brady might have superhuman abilities, and as Bill heads off to the hospital to see what he can find, we check back in with Barbara, Jerome's sister, who has appeared in the previous two novels. We feel mounting horror as we realize that Barbara is carrying a zapit device, and before long, she hears the voice of Brady telling her to commit suicide with her race as the method he uses his way to weasel his way in. Specifically, he uses her identity— forcing her to question her own blackness, which is a much more nuanced examination of black identity than Jerome's jokey slave talk from the first book. King teases it out, but it winds up happening anyway, and Brady causes Barbara to jump into the street. Her fate is not revealed right away, but we begin getting teases from the different characters hearing word about what happened before it's finally revealed that she's being rushed to the hospital. As Bill learns that Barb was in possession of a Zappit, we see Brady's primary method of manipulation, the susceptibility, uh, or the susceptible library orderly Brooks. Again, King is able to visualize something as complicated and nuanced as a black child's perspective in a nearly all white school. And we get that on page 182. They have a zero-tolerance policy, and they mean it. At least most of them do, I guess. But anyone can walk through the halls when the classes are changing and pick out the black kids and the Chinese transfer students and the Muslim girl because there's only two dozen of us. And we're like a few grains of pepper that somehow got into the salt shaker. She's picking up steam now, her voice outraged and indignant, but also weary. I get invited to parties, but there are a lot of parties I don't get invited to, and I've only been asked out on dates twice. One of the boys who asked me was white, and everyone looked at us when we went to the movies, and someone threw popcorn at the back of our heads. I guess at the a- a- AMC-12, racial equality stopped when the lights go down. One time I was playing soccer. Here I go dribbling the ball up the sideline, got a clear shot, and this white dad in a golf shirt tells his daughter, guard that jig. I pretended I didn't hear it. The girl kind of smirked. I wanted to knock her over, right there where he could see it, but I didn't. I swallowed it. And once, when I was a freshman, I left my English book on the bleachers at lunch, and when I went back to get it, someone had put a note in it that said, Buckwheat's girlfriend. I swallowed that too. For days it can be good, weeks even, and then there's something to swallow. It's the same with mom and dad, I know it is. Maybe it's different for Jerome at Harvard, but I bet even sometimes he has to swallow it. Holly squeezes her hand but says nothing. I'm not blackish, but the voice said I was just because I didn't grow up in a tenement with an abusive dad and a drug addict mom. Because I never ate a collard green or even knew exactly what it was. Because I say pork chop instead of poke chop. Because they're poor down there in the low. And we're doing just fine on T. Berry Lane. I have my cash card and my nice school, and Jer goes to Harvard. But don't you see, Holly? Don't you see that I never, you know, and he continues. I just think that, you know, I had issues with. king explored race in uh in the first book but here i I think that like i just said a minute ago i think that's it's a lot more nuanced um and it's a lot more careful how he goes about it our next section is entitled library al we start to get the backstory of how the Zappits became a threat and how brady began to use al to do his bidding through the perspective of brady it's revealed that he wants to ruin hodge's life so badly Bill decides to. He wants basically he wants Bill to kill himself. The next section is entitled BadConcerts.com. This chapter kicks off with a literal bang as Brady, using Al, shoots Dr. Babineau's wife in an effective scene that captures the brutality and sudden disorientation of the act. As Brady uses Dr. Babineau for the last time, Bill continues to get to the bottom of the Zappit device. Brady eventually takes the next step and, in essence, kills himself. In a sequence that is thoughtful and disorienting, we watch the last of Babineau wash out of his own mind, and then Brady, as Babineau, returns to the hospital to dump pills down his, Brady's, throat. So Brady simultaneously commits suicide while committing murder on another in the same act. And King does a great job of putting us in his mind as it happens. So now Brady has changed the rules. His body is dead, but his mind lives on in Babineau. The question for now is whether or not he'll be able to jump in other bodies now that the, the host body is, is dead. While Brady disappears from the narrative for a bit, Jerome returns. For the first time since the book began, our three heroes are once again together. And with this functioning as the final part of this trilogy, with Bill terminally ill, this could very well be the last time we see them together. Whatever issues I have with this series, these three do work well bouncing off of each other. And as our three heroes begin bouncing the facts off each other, Bill hears word of the murder of Babineau's wife, so things are beginning to spin out of the hands of the police. We have murders and suicides that aren't adding up and a hotshot career-driven detective attempting to squash this thing as quickly as possible in order to advance her own career as soon as Bill's former partner retires. The police quagmire never really plays a major role. It's just uh, that it's it it's set in place to tangle up the police to keep them inactive, freeing up Bill to be the hero the book needs him to be. We then learn of Brady's ambition. As a teen, he was obsessed with Jim Jones, and now that he has superpowers, he decided he's going to be Jim Jones for the 21st century. He comments upon social media and its role in suicides, describing the pack mentality of teenagers. The end is just the end is just a little icing on the cake. He has been able to disseminate only a limited number of zappits, and a significant portion of his shipment was defective. For Christ's sake, but teenagers are herd creatures, and herd creatures are. In mental and emotional lockstep. It's why fish school and bees swarm. It's why the swallows come back each year. In human behavior, it's why the wave goes around at a football and baseball stadium. And why individuals will lose themselves in a crowd simply because the crowd is there. Teenage boys have a tendency to wear the same baggy shorts and grow the same scruff on their faces, lest they be excluded from the herd. Teenage girls adopt the same styles of dress and go crazy for the same musical groups. It's We Are Your Brothers this year. Not long ago, it was Round Here and One Direction. Back in the day, it was New Kids on the Block. Fads sweep through teenagers like measles epidemic, and from time to time, one of those fads is suicide. In southern Wales, dozens of teens hung themselves between 2007 and 2009 with messages on social networking sites stoking the craze. Even the goodbyes they left were crouched in Netspeak. Me too, and see you later. His plan is nefarious and supervillainy. But remember, as we learned in Mr. Mercedes, Brady's a fool, and the first person he tries to have commit suicide lives. His grand scheme falters with the very first step. Even at the very end, he's still a bumbling buffoon who, I'm doing this on purpose, has drunk his own Kool-Aid. However, the Z the end goes live and is discovered by our heroes. Holly understands that many teenagers will be susceptible to the subliminal messages within the flashes and that with the website, Brady has created a suicide bomb. The next section is entitled Suicide Prince. So I want to like this book, guys. I really do. But for a novel whose villain is called the Suicide Prince, there just seems to be a lot of wheel spinning. For instance, after introducing Brady's endgame rather than rocketing towards the conclusion, he doubles back and fills us in on the engrossing backstory of the Zappit Company, how Brady utilized them to his advantage, and how Babineau fell under his sway. At this point, King has firmly established Brady's abilities. And we know that Babineau has been hollowed out and filled up with Brady. That's honestly all I need to know. I don't need to know the particulars leading up to the moment we started with. We have just about 100 pages left, a body-hopping villain on the loose, a web-based suicide virus, and a hero with terminal cancer. That's a lot of combustible elements that I'd rather explore than this backstory. The next section is entitled Heads and Skins. Back with our heroes, King continues to explore Hodge's condition, and it's more of this that I want. So he writes... Finders keeper shares the seventh floor bathrooms with the travel agency, but right now Hodges has the men's to himself, for which he is grateful. He's bent over one of the sinks, right hand gripping the wash bin's rim, left pressed to his side. His belt is still unbuckled, and his pants are sinking past his hips under the weight of the stuff in his pockets, change keys, wallet, phone. He came in here to take a shit. An ordinary excretory function he's been performing all his life, but when he started to strain... The left half of his midsection went nuclear. It made his previous pain seem like a bunch of warm-up notes before the full concert begins, and if it's this bad now, he dreads to think what might lie ahead. No, he thinks, dread is the wrong word. Terror is the right one. For the first time in my life, I'm terrified of the future, where I see everything that I am or ever was first submerged, then erased. If the pain doesn't do it, the heavier drugs they give me to stifle it will. Now he understands why pancreatic is called the stealth cancer and why it's almost always deadly. It lurks, building up its troops and sending out secret emissaries to the lungs, the lymph nodes, the bones to the brain. Then it blitzkriegs, not understanding in its stupid rapacity that victory can only bring its own death. Hodges thinks, except maybe that's what it wants. Maybe it's self-hating, born with a desire not to murder the host, but to kill itself, which makes cancer the real suicide prince in dreamcatcher king explored the concept of cancer as an alien and invading unknown entity the results of that book were muddied but with this description he gets to the point much more succinctly and i prefer this to uh to what he did in, in dreamcatcher Soon after, our heroes realize that Freddie Linklater, Brady's old co-worker, has something to do with all of this, and once they track her down, they're filled in on what's really occurring and the truth behind how Brady has been able to do what he's been doing. From here, we start to see exactly what Brady is doing, and it's one of the more effective sequences in the book. I've always said, and it's not like I can take credit for this, I mean, after all, it's always been one of his strengths, but anyway, King's greatest ability isn't his use of plot, but character. And when he starts to show us the suicide of those affected by Brady's plan, it's among the more powerful moments from the book. So, uh, yeah, it's it's an effective scene. Um, I was gonna read it, um, but I'm I'm not uh, because I realized that it involves uh, you know a gay youth uh, and a gun, and with things so close to Orlando that just it I actually I just cut it out. I just recorded it um, as I was reading it. I I felt awful i just i it it wasn't good um so i mean it's not that stephen king did anything wrong i mean it's it's very effective i mean it, it should leave you upset um and he does everything right in that scene but just for um just the humanity of it all i'm just i'm not gonna i'm not gonna read it i mean i think that as a as a society right now we're too close to that tragic event in in orlando um but, yeah, I mean, it is, it is well written. Um, in just two pages, King presents a beginning, middle, and end of, of a scene um, revolving around being in the perspective of, of this, this boy who had gone to a Round Here concert when he was young. Um, he discovers that he's gay and the, the, the strained relationship between he and his father um, and, and what Brady is able to do uh, to, to this poor young man. So, our heroes manage to, with the help of the police, get the website shut down and learn of Babineau's hunting spot where Brady has holed up. Here, King gives us one of his trademark breaking of the quartet scenes with his classic I'm never going to see them again moments. This time, it's Jerome who thinks that as he says goodbye to Bill and Holly, and we're really nearing the end. Bill and Holly get to the cabin and in no time are quickly ambushed by Brady, and here we are! Our first confrontation between our hero and villain. Now, remember that Bill didn't even make it to the conclusion of the first novel. So this is it. This is it. This is the, the, the real confrontation, the real meeting uh, of, of uh, the good guy and the bad guy. Brady attempts a possession of Bill, but Bill is able to beat him back just as Holly fires off a few rounds. Brady escapes those two, but not Jerome, who runs him over before he can get away. There's a fitting poetry in the fact that Brady is run over, like the victims of his original crime. We aren't allowed a celebration, however, as Bill immediately collapses. With the plot out of the way... King wraps up his characters, which allows Bill to survive for just a couple pages, only to succumb with cancer eight months later, and concludes with Jerome and Holly at his gravesite. And that's the book. And that's the conclusion to this trilogy of books. So, like I said earlier, I admire King's idea to create his very own detective and follow his adventures over three books. I mean, you can see the germ of this character in A Good Marriage. But though I admire the concept, I'm really cold on the execution. Mr. Mercedes set up the first part of a trilogy. This book concludes it. And Finder's Keepers just feels so out of place. I mean, if you took Finder's Keepers out entirely, the first and third books don't change at all. So I'd say that Finder's Keepers is the book that achieves what King set out to do, to just write a crime fiction novel. It's a book that suffers when the characters from the first novel show up. Um... So I don't know. Like I said earlier, I think that King finds Bill more endearing than than we do, or at least I do. Um, and and though the the three main characters do bounce off each other well, it just I don't think that they stack up to our, our greater um, character combos in, in King's uh, works before. Um, yeah, this book, guys. I mean, the, these three books just left me left me cold. Uh, let's talk about Brady a little bit here. Mr. Mercedes, I pose the following question. Is Brady the most derivative villain King has ever created, or is he an example of the author playing a metatextual game with us? Was Brady a failure of a character because he was a walking cliche of King's tropes, or was King purposefully using these tropes as one part of a long-form storytelling in which he grew into his own legend? Or would the weight of the legends that had come before prove too much to rise out from underneath? So, let's review... Mr. Mercedes, he wore a Pennywise mask. He uses a car to kill people, Shades of Christine. Like Randall Flagg, he used a smiley face as his calling card. Like Harold Lauder, he is a bitter outcast. He wants to blow up a convention center like Ed Deepneau. He wears bright yellow Workman gloves like André Linoge. He has a twisted relationship with his mother like Carrie's relationship with Margaret White. He's stuck in Room 217. And in this novel, he's given superpowers through experimental drugs like the recipients of the shop's experiments in Firestarter. He weaponizes electronics to change the wiring in the heads of users like the unknown antagonists in Cell. And as website goes live, the song Don't Fear the Reaper starts playing, like it was famously used in the pages and then the miniseries of The Stand. Upon my reread, when I realized what King was doing with Brady, that there were all of these elements of of other King characters that um, he was throwing in, into Brady, I, I, I posed the question of, of whether or not this was going to result with... Um, a metamorphosis of him as a character starting out as a wannabe and ultimately becoming a villain in his own right. And so, but when finder's keepers ended and we realized that he was getting telekinetic abilities, I thought that, yes, he was, you know, he lived life as a wannabe. He died, so to speak, and would be reborn as the supervillain. He always saw himself. Um, Now that the dust has settled, um, it looks like King uh, was not doing that. Um, Brady never lived up to the grandeur of of fictional villainy. It seems as though Stephen King is is still firmly playing within uh, the groundwork that he had laid down in, in previous novels. Um, and in in previous episodes, I've I've discussed how how King presents evil and it's not something to be respected. It doesn't have a grandeur to it. That it's it really is just pathetic. And and Brady is just pathetic. There's a. I mean the the word that often gets used is a banality, but that kind of speaks to the just the everyday qualities of evil. This is different. This is a uh, just an unlikability, a, a weakness, a patheticism to to the character. Um, that even though he has these superpowers, he really he really is just through and through just a pathetic little wannabe creature. I I was thinking of um, an episode of Catfish that that I was watching where there was a um, there was a, a a guy that was catfishing another guy. He was pretending he was a girl, and he shows up on on camera. Um, I don't know. He's calling himself the Joker, and he's he's kind of leering and mugging, and and just kind of doing things that would work in a comic book or a movie, but in real life, just makes you look like a jackass. And like I, you just feel like this guy thought that he was coming out like some supervillain, but he's just. You just in these moments, like these people just look pathetic, you know, and that's Brady that's just what Brady is. he's just you know he never rose from the trappings and I don't know if that was purposeful on king's part to to really weigh him down with these cliches or if if King did not know what he was doing or if he didn't realize that he actually was doing something by by uh by loading them up with these cliches, but uh, but ultimately Brady failed as a character, and I don't know if that's supposed to be a meta textual comment, but I could not get behind these three books because I didn't really like the main character so much. I didn't even I didn't really like the bad guy that much, and I I respect the fact that King does not want to romanticize villainy or evil, and he kind of wants to show it as pathetic. I think that that's great. Um, but at the same time, there's something to be said about like writing fiction where the villain is is compelling um, and is a worthwhile adversary to our our hero. Um, but that's that's neither here nor there. I I just I just gotta say that I didn't yeah I didn't like these three books. Sorry guys. So up next we have Stephen Kingisms. Um, so slashing risks, sorry slashing wrists and writing a message in the blood. Nurse Sappelli does this, reminiscent of Stan in the pages of It. Number two, kids getting run over by cars. Uh, Barbara gets run over in this book. Uh, Jake gets run over in the pages of uh, The Gunslinger, and we have seen car accidents, car crashes littered throughout Stephen King's books and in Stephen King's real life. Um, weaponizing handheld devices, as I said a little bit, just a little while ago. Um, cells, cell phones were... Um, were weaponized in Cell, and here Brady weaponizes the Zappit, um, Activating superpowers through drugs. We first saw that in Firestarter, and Dr. Babinow was doing that with Brady here. Number five is 19. At one point, Brady realizes the color pink makes him look 19 again. Um, and on that note, number six is hypnosis through a pink object. While uh, everyone is hypnotized by trying to tap the pink fish, and similarly, many people got lost while staring into the pink grapefruit in Wizard and Glass. And number seven is good guys braving a snowstorm to get the bad guy. Bill and Holly drive through a snowstorm to get to Brady, not unlike Dick Hollerin on his way back to the Overlook. So, um, up next, we have Easter Eggs, Inside View. The um, much-despised tabloid magazine uh, is referred to in this book, and we first saw this in the pages of The Dead Zone, um, and one of its reporters, Richard Dees, was in The Dead Zone and in the Nightmares and Dreamscape short story, The Night Flyer. Number two... Sharp Cereal. Now, there's a throwaway reference to this brand of cereal in relation to Round Here, the boy band that was featured prominently in Mr. Mercedes and was also one of Ebra Stone's bands from Dr. Sleep. But the cereal company itself, I saw, and I, it's one of those things where I, I kind of, was scrolling past and I stopped. And I said, Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Sharp cereal, sharp cereal, could it be? And it was. It was the same cereal uh, company that Vic Trenton um, had been hired to provide advertisements for in the pages of Cujo. And if you remember in my review of Cujo, I kept coming back to the point where if we are telling a story about a monstrous dog trapping a woman in a car, why do we have a subplot about a cereal company? Sharp cereal was that cereal company. And number three, Don't Fear the Reaper. When zthen.com website goes live, the song that plays is Don't Fear the Reaper. So guys, that's it. That's all I've got for Mr. Mercedes and Finder's Keepers. And lastly, End of Watch. Um, also, I wish that it had gone with its original title, The Suicide Prince. I think that would have been a much, much, much stronger Um title uh, i get why he he did end of watch but that's just kind of just kind of a boring title to me um but fitting i guess for a novel and series of novels that left me cold so i'm excited to see what king has up next i know there's rumors of a third talisman book um possibly in the works um, who knows who knows what's next but i definitely look forward oh i guess he's writing uh he's writing a book with his uh, son owen i believe so that'll be interesting so guys, thanks for coming back. I'm, I'm glad that you tuned back in. Um, I told you that it wasn't the end. It would just, uh, it would just slow down and it uh, would be a lot more sporadic than it had been. Uh, so I don't know what lies in store next. I'll probably do another episode sometime this summer. Um, don't know exactly what. Uh, but uh, I do know that after my last episode, the announcement where I said I was going to go on a on a hiatus and uh you know just really slowed down with the podcast as soon as i said that you know i started thinking about like well what's the next episode how can i what 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 else can i do you know i was thinking about like maybe reviewing the nightmares and dreamscapes miniseries and you know and and then i was like i i can't i can't get away i can't you know uh and even though like the break did feel good Um, I really did miss it. I really did, uh, sharing my, my thoughts with all of you. And I missed, uh, well, I mean, everyone was still, um, being pretty active out there. So that's good. Um, but yeah, I, I missed the response to, to a particular, uh, episode. So it's good to put this back out there and, um, so even even if let's let's just say I don't I don't put anything out by the the end of this summer, um, I have begun my reread of Jonathan Maberry's The Pine Deep trilogy. Um, fans of the show will know that I've been a, a proponent for um, those books, and I feel as though if you are a Stephen King fan, you should read Jonathan Maberry's The Pine Deep trilogy because Stephen King never wrote his you know end-all be-all statement on halloween but thankfully for us jonathan Maberry did um and it's a fantastic uh three books and so this october in the weeks leading up to halloween i will review those books so for certain we'll have those three to look forward to in the fall in the meantime i don't really know i don't know i mean i know that joe hills the fireman is out there i'm hearing really good things there's number one on new york times it's fantastic um i just haven't gotten a chance to to read it like i said um it took me a while to get through end of watch it's not as easy um, reading the book and taking notes, uh, with a child as it was without a child. Um, and there's just some summer books that, that I just kind of want to read devoid of, of, of taking notes. Night Stalkers by Steve All in the, uh, latest in the, the Meg series. I just kind of want to read a story about giant sharks and giant sea monsters. Um, you know, so that's, that's definitely something I want to tackle. And, um, you know, who knows? Who knows? Maybe I'll, I'll be able to bang out another one um, at some point this summer. Um, but like I said, for sure, for sure, um, look for uh, the Pine Deep Trilogy Review uh, this fall, this October Here at Stephen King Cast So it gives you time to, to go out and get uh, Ghost Road Blues And Dead Man's Song And Bad Moon Rising I'm telling you guys, you will not be disappointed um, You guys are going to love it And uh, so I just I just reread Ghost Road Blues This marks the third time reading it And I look forward to uh, Settling back in with uh, Dead Man's Song These um, books are so good guys And uh Alright, that's it. That's all I got. So everyone, thank you for listening. If you have not done so already, feel free to uh, write me at stephenkingcast at yahoo.com and if you haven't done so, head on over to iTunes and, and write a review um, because the more reviews that I get, uh, the, the higher in the library, the, um, uh, the the podcast is It's that much more visible for people. So everyone, thanks for listening um, and I will see you next time here at the Stephen King cast, so in the meantime, may you have long days and pleasant nights, and I'll see you here where M-O-O-N spells Stephen King cast. Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection, the lovers, the dreamers, and me.